We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Welcome to the Eurostep, episode 16. My name is Kane Pittman, and I'm going to be joined by Ty Windish as we are on the back of a Game 2 win for the Milwaukee Bucks, led by the Pink Panther, as they beat the Pistons 120-99. to Ty, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I wonder, should we explain the Pink Panther thing now to people who might not know, or should we wait? And people who might not know included me until about yes, two minutes Yes, we can ago. get straight into it. Giannis was wearing a pink uh, Nike or Nike tracksuit. Nike, as I would say, in Australia, which is a completely different conversation, but we can get to that another time. He was wearing this – yeah, I know. What? He was, I, I, this, people always pull me up on this, and I just – so I would say Nike. I don't know. It's That's it how is. you say it. Yeah, of course that's how you say it. Nike? No, okay, it's well, Nike. People, I don't know why then. People always pull me up on that. They're like, Nike? They're like, what's wrong with you? It's just Nike. I'm like, I don't know. It's just 
<laughs> I don't know what people you're talking to, man. It's definitely Nike. Someone, someone's, someone's. Uh, I don't know the right Australian metaphor, but someone's yanking your chain yeah, on that well, one. Well, I already feel much better about this. This is this is six o'clock in the morning uh, on Thursday, and it's a great start to my day. <laughs> I'm feeling comfortable. I'm feeling good. I feel like I can move on with my day. But the Pink Panther was in reference to Giannis walking into the press conference room last night. We heard the door open, and next thing, Giannis is sneaking in on his tiptoes, humming the theme to the Pink Panther. It was ridiculous. It was something that only Giannis could do. Everyone was laughing. Giannis was laughing at himself. He was very happy with his own work. And then by the time the press conference finished, he stopped and uh, told us all to go home and watch the Pink Panther movie. So uh, I did have a couple of people hit me up on Twitter and ask whether it was the old school Pink Panther or the new one. I have not been able to clear that up yet, but uh, the Bucks are not practicing today, being Thursday. But I'll be sure to get that answer as I feel like that is the type of question that I have uh, really gone out of my way to ask the, the, you know, sometimes silly questions. So I will get to the bottom of the Pink Panther uh, with Giannis tomorrow at practice and let everyone know. But you missed that. But a lot of people might have missed that. It was pretty late at that point. Uh, what do you think about uh, Giannis uh, as a Pink Panther? My favorite part of this, I don't even know what noun to use to describe it, is that there hasn't been a new Pink Panther movie since 2009. So it's not like this is like a trend that's going on right now. Like this is literally something that's a decade old that Giannis just wore pink and felt like the Pink Panther. And I I, I just, I couldn't be more all for it, honestly. And I think as much as I'm against anyone trying to give Giannis further nicknames because the Greek freak is literally perfect. The pink Panther is a nice little like alt. It's like, it's not a real nickname. It's like Sunday tiger. It's like a, a persona he takes on only when he wears pink. Like when tiger wears red on Sunday, it's Sunday tiger. When Giannis wears pink on, uh, I guess Wednesday, he's the pink. Yeah. Panther. It's like, uh, I don't know how many, how many of the listeners, uh, watched, uh, wwe back in the day it's like it's like mankind you know he's got cactus jack he's got like dude love this is like Giannis. he wears pink and he's the pink panther maybe uh i don't know we need to see if we can get him another couple of personas maybe and this this can be just like a thing he does depending on the mood he shows up to the arena Mm. and he he Mm. is whoever he wants to be well it's funny i i don't this might be too deep of a milwaukee sports cut for you kane but have you ever heard of Niger Morgan? Uh, no, I don't. Th- during a during a Brewers playoff run years back, they had Niger Morgan on the team, who's you know kind of a role player, but he had different personas like Tony Plush, Tombstone <laughs> Tony, etc. He would uh, take on Tony Plush was the main one. He kind of built it out from there, and I think that that's a I, I don't know. I think comparing Giannis as a player to Niger Morgan doesn't really hold up, but the the persona thing maybe. Maybe we're going to get there. Maybe Giannis is going to be that that wild and crazy guy. Well, uh, either way, I'm into it. I, I'm into all that sort of stuff. Obviously, it's only the type of thing uh, you can get away with when when you're winning, but the, the, the Bucks are just so loose right now. They're having a great time. Uh, Eric Bledsoe uh, is, is a guy that has hardly had a smile off his face the last week, whether it's in practice, whether it's uh, on the floor. He is just having a great time, which is, yeah, as we all know, in, in stark contrast to, to where he was at uh, last season. And I think this is, this is a good sign for the Bucks. They, they actually uh, had to deal with 
I guess you could say some adversity last night. They go in at halftime trailing 59-58. It did never really feel like to me that the game was going to be in danger just from conversations I was having with people at halftime at the arena. No one at all. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was talking to a lot of people and no one thought that, that the, the end result of that game was going to be close. Everyone believed that the Bucks would come out and push away. They did that in the third quarter with a 35-17 to 17 uh, third quarter and all of a sudden they go from down one at halftime to up 17 after three quarters and the game is really over so uh, for the Bucks not the worst thing that they had to actually work for this one Bud was still able to keep everyone's minutes down uh, when you look at uh, how many minutes they played Giannis stays under 30 again uh, Eric Bledsoe likewise with, with 28 Middleton 32 Lopez plays so most of the starters actually with 33 minutes but again not an extreme workload uh, for those guys. Uh, and just back to the Bledsoe comment that I made about how loose he's feeling. I asked him about this after the game, and uh, and he, he understands. We know that he knows what happened last year in the playoffs, and, and he he was probably had a lot of pressure on him. And I think in a lot of ways, this series against Detroit uh, and the fact that the Bucks are probably going to be able to sort of cruise, cruise through, uh, get that sort of first-round monkey off the back, uh, this is just a good situation for everyone to be in. And this is what Bledsoe said when I asked him that question. He said, I think we hold each other accountable and talk to each other in any situation without people getting mad or anything. Us being in that tough environment last season helped us grow as a team. We know each other's game. We know what each other are capable of doing. So we trust each other to make the right play. And we added Coach Bud as well. We've got a team that's confident in each other. I mean, that says a lot. So... This is something that you know we've seen from this team all year. I asked him a question about himself and how he's feeling, and he everyone always comes back to the group as a whole, the fact that they do trust each other, the fact that uh, and, and Bud always gets mentioned in this. this. This is the culture that they have. They're feeling good, and I think we're seeing that in the playoffs. This is why this team is not having any mental lapses. They're going through. Uh, they're taking care of business, and I, I think that's the big thing. 100% agree. Uh, I was tweeting in the, I think yeah, it was the second quarter that really was Detroit's, I guess, signature moment so far in the series. Um, and really, I would agree with you. It wasn't like I thought, oh, wow, the Pistons. I mean, they outplayed the Bucks in that quarter, sure. But it wasn't like Milwaukee brought out their best basketball and Detroit was just better. I thought that it felt to me, Milwaukee just was playing sloppy on both ends. It didn't look like the Bucks basketball we've seen all season. So I, I tweeted something then and then again later, basically just like, I, we just need Bud to to get these guys back on track and get them playing Bucks basketball again, and, and then it'll be over. And that's honestly pretty much what happened. Um, I, I do think one other interesting thing in addition to that, and I think uh, you mentioned the third quarter is really where Milwaukee came out and did what they did and took the game over. I think some questionable lineup choices on the part of Dwayne Casey in this game. I mean, uh, Bruce Brown, a rookie who uh, supposedly can't shoot. He did definitely uh, nail a triple in this game. I thought he was pretty excellent in his minutes. He only played 14, but I think he was plus seven, the only plus uh, piston player in the game. And that might have been, I think the last time I checked was right before the end of the game. So maybe those last two minutes could have thrown that off, but. 
either way, I thought he played really well and, and didn't just get a lot of opportunity. No, he ended uh, plus four in 17 minutes. So going into the last three minutes, which were garbage time, he was plus seven. Andre Drummond just – he's almost always on the floor against uh, Brooke Lopez. I looked it up. There's like .6 minutes where Lopez has played without Drummond out there, I think, and just gets annihilated against him. Uh, game one, Drummond's a minus 45. Game two, a minus 32. And, I mean, listen, folks, the Bucks are winning by a lot in these games, but they didn't win by 45 in game one, and they didn't win by 32 in game two, which – if you know about plus minus, means both games now. When Drummond's not on the floor, Detroit has outscored Milwaukee, which I don't think in two games, it's not enough of a sample size for me to be really concerned. And that's a lot of, I would say, mostly minutes without Giannis at this point, except for that second quarter run with Thon when they went small. But even then, Giannis was in foul trouble and sat a lot. It's not something I'd really worry about if I'm a Bucks fan, but I think if I'm Dwayne Casey, I really think about going to that small lineup more. I think. Part of it was sort of just the Bucks weren't used to seeing that from Detroit, and I think that's why it, it was so effective against Milwaukee in that second quarter. And Giannis wasn't out there for a lot. But still, that lineup did really well, and I think I would I would try it a little more at least if I was Dwayne Casey. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, it's interesting because I, I think late in the second quarter or, or through as the second quarter was taking place, uh, we were saying the Pistons have some reasonable success defensively against the Bucks, and uh, I know Dwayne Casey spoke about, uh, spoke pregame. He, I mean, he's a guy that lo- loves his players to take charges. As I, as he's just, he's old school. That's what he loves. He would, like, if he had Ersan, I mean, it would be incredible. He would be so, he would be just jacked at all at all times with having Ersan taking charges left, right, and center. But I, I think there was some frustration for the Bucks. I think there was certainly some frustration from the crowd with the officiating. Uh, the Pistons were being aggressive. They were getting those... Uh, charge calls, and when Giannis picks up his third foul relatively early, sort of in the midway portion of the second quarter, Milton had two fouls, Bledsoe had two fouls, Lopez had two fouls heading into half time. That was really the only thing that you could see that could derail this, but uh, I think the Bucks made adjustments. I think that they figured out what the Pistons were trying to do, and they realized that it wasn't the time to just put your head down and, and charge into the into the. Uh, the Pistons defense that was starting to move the ball a little bit, get some second and third actions happening again, which is something that we always see with the Bucks and, and Bud is always quick to uh, bring that up in, in post games. When you talk about potentially situations where the Bucks have struggles offensively, it's not so much or it's not so much about the opposition defense as it is the Bucks going away from what makes them successful. And I think that they there was there was two things why this game changed in, in the third quarter it was the Bucks started to move the ball again and it was also Giannis just, just scoring seven points in the first uh minute of the of the second half and it felt like that was all the Bucks needed to really uh break the back of the Pistons but when you go back to the half to halftime message I, I know you mentioned that halftime sort of came at a good time for the Bucks. I think that's right they were sort of just Floundering a little bit, the game was staying close. I don't think that the Bucks that I feel like the Bucks needed that break to talk things through. Uh, both Bud and the players said that it wasn't one of those times where Bud went in and, and really yelled at the guys or told them, you know, that really went off on them and said, "This is not what we're supposed to be doing." He remained calm. Uh, the, the players understood when they went into halftime uh, that they weren't playing the way they wanted to play. That the game wasn't where it should be for them. Uh, and they came out and responded. And I think that's a big thing with this team. 
Bud knows when to push their buttons. The players are, are really self-motivated. They know when they need to uh, pick it up themselves. They know what they should be doing. And it, the message is as simple as Bud looking at them and saying, you guys know what you should be doing. And they go out and do it. And I think that's an incredible trait with this team, considering that they are still only in their first year together. The fact that that's where they're at and they, that's their understanding of the system, that's the understanding of their own game and the understanding of the team's capabilities. Uh, I think it's, it's again, it's a sign of a, of a team that is going to contend for a title. But uh, you know, some credit needs to go to the Pistons for that defense in the second quarter. Yeah, I think they, they fought like hell, uh, especially like I mentioned earlier, that rookie Bruce Brown, who's a defensive specialist, basically. He, he looked it in that quarter, no doubt about it. I think all the momentum went to Detroit, and I thought it was impressive that you know Milwaukee was able to you know go into halftime, have Bud give a, a, a short but to the point message, and then come out and play Bucks basketball. And, and on the ball movement, I couldn't agree more there. I think you know, we all love to watch Giannis just break down the defense and, and dunk on some poor sucker. And this time it was Don Maker right. in this game again, but that was that was tough. Um, did you see uh, somebody put the video right next to a video of Shaq dunking on someone? It looked awfully similar. I did not. I did not say that, but it sounds, yeah, it uh, was, it sounds pretty pretty cool. It, it was pretty cool. Uh, at Pickup Hoop, Glass Half Fultz, Modern Day Diesel. He put the clips right next to each other. It's awesome. But anyway... Um, yeah, no, once the ball started moving again, uh, you know, guys were getting catch and shoot threes because you no, know, the Pistons were doing a good job of guarding, you know, the guys like Giannis and Chris and everyone else. But I, I didn't think that they were playing perfect defense. I just thought that they were guarding those guys well. And then those guys weren't doing enough to look for the other guys who often were springing open. And once they did start to look for those guys, then all of a sudden you see, you know, guys like Pat Connaughton, who's been terrific this playoffs. At some point, we got to talk about Pat. Uh, he was two for three from deep. Ursan nailed a triple. I mean, this really wasn't a great shooting game for Milwaukee. Only 11. I mean, the, the percentage was good, but only 26 attempted threes. But uh, they ended up making 42% of them, and that that is what made this from a close game that Detroit led at halftime to a, a 21-point, I guess you could say, blowout. Yeah, it's interesting you look. You talk about the the Pistons shooting because again, this was this was an adjustment for Detroit. So we we talk about the defensive end uh, with uh, the way they were able to get bodies in front uh, of the Bucks players that are getting to the rack. The other thing is the three point shooting was was a was a real uh, change for for Detroit. So uh, pregame, Dwayne Casey spoke a lot about uh, the Pistons wanting to shoot the ball more and take what the Bucks are giving them. And this is not something that the Pistons generally do. I mean, they ranked sixth in the league uh, in the regular season for three-point attempts. They were taking 34.8 a game. The Bucks were taking 38.2. So they were taking uh, – what's how's my math here at this, this time of the morning? They were taking 3.4 uh, <laughs> more threes. Last – oh, yeah, the, the Bucks were yeah, taking Yeah, 3.4 more a game. But the difference from game one, the Pistons only shoot 27 threes. They had 23 attempts in the first half uh, in game two. So it was definitely, they made a concerted effort to shoot the ball more. I think that's definitely the way that you want to play against the Bucks. If you're scared to shoot threes, I didn't see any way that you're going to score. Because if you, if you want to get into the paint and that's where you want to do your damage, you're really going to struggle against Milwaukee. So I think they made the adjustment of bringing Luke Kennard into, this, into the starting lineup, who, you know, you... 
you can talk about defensively. I'm not sure that he's going to be a guy that that really works when when he's getting the matchup on Chris Middleton. But yeah, you're going to give him credit on offense. He shot the ball really well again, four for six from three for Kanai. That was a career high uh, for three point makes for him. I mean, he finishes a minus sixteen on the night. But uh, you know, as we sort of pointed out, the the plus minus. Uh, it's not going to be pretty for, for the Pistons in a game they lose by 21 points. But um, on the other hand, uh, for Milwaukee, and you spoke about uh, the, the big three really doing the heavy lifting, uh, heavy lifting in this one. And this is probably, it feels like more of a throwback game for the Bucks. We haven't seen a lot of this this year where the three uh, stars were the clear scoring leaders. On this night, Bledsoe has 27 points, Giannis has 26, and Middleton has 24. Uh, outside of that, Pat Connaughton, who, again, we will touch on more on his you know, r- ridiculous night. He has 18. But other than that, uh, no one else reaches double figures, which is pretty strange for this Bucks team. We are so used to now them having seven, sometimes eight guys in double digits, and the scoring is more balanced. So I think it was good to see the Bucks stars really step up when they needed them, and and this is something that at times you're gonna have to you're gonna need during the playoffs. You're gonna have to really ride these these top guys, and I, I think against this Pistons team, it's it's an ideal matchup for those guys because there's really no one that at their individual positions that can stop them. But it, it was different. So did you? Uh, I mean, why was that the case for you? Do you think that the the they were sort of taking? Uh, the ball by the horns and saying, no, we're going to score. Do you think, did you feel like it was in the flow of the offense? I certainly think the second half uh, was was a lot more the way the Bucks want to play and those were just the guys that ended up with the shots. Uh, but again, it was unique for this offense. Yeah, I think part of it was uh, in, this, in the second half, I think it came in the flow. In the first half, I think those guys started to just attack on their own more. And I think part of it too is, just a little bit of variance. I mean, everyone outside of Connaughton, uh, aside from the big, I guess we'll say the big three, did not have a good game. Uh, Sterling was fine. I mean, three for five, eight points. That's about, I feel like, what you'd expect from him in the postseason or even the regular season. But Brooke Lopez was three for eight on the night, one for three from deep, which is like not horrible, but for him to go two for five from within the arc is not great. I mean, he was taking – I didn't like some mm-hmm. of the shots he was taking. I mean, he's – leaning into some real weird pull-up jumpers. And it's like, Brooke, if you're going to shoot within the arc, honestly, buddy, just post up because it's a much better shot for you. Um, Nico Miritich, 1 for 5, 0 for 1 from deep. I mean, that was his minutes early on were tough. Late, I was just like, okay, shoot as much as you want. Just try to get yourself into a place where you're going to make them yeah. again. And Ersan only shoots three times, and that's kind of classic Ersan. George Hill, still aggressive, but 2 for 7, so – I think part of it is guys just weren't making shots. And if you're Giannis or Chris or Eric Bledsoe, you're kind of like, well, F it then. I guess we'll make the shots. And and that's what they did. And I I agree that it's nice to see that happen in in a game like this. to Sort of give a preview. Like, listen, if these role players aren't making shots later, it's a close game. You know, it might need to turn into that. And and those three guys need to know, you know, we can – we need to and we can put this offense on our shoulders. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with that because uh, when it does get to the fourth quarter, and we've seen it all year, there's going to be a variety of guys that are going to get the shot. A lot of the times it was Malcolm Brogdon when he was healthy and playing, but uh, I, I do think that in the first half, and you touched on it, that and this was sort of playing into the Pistons' hands, I think maybe there's a little bit of frustration. 
maybe there was a little bit of surprise for the Bucks that they thought that they were just going to continue to to roll it and win. They sort of they get a, a big lead in the second quarter there, and then they they sort of just let it slip. I, th- I think a lot of that was mental, but I think it's a it's a true sign for this for this Bucks offense when they struggle. They're doing a lot of one-on-one stuff and a lot of isolation stuff and trying to yeah. put the team on their shoulders. So I don't think that was a bad thing for the Bucks to work through that. Um, you touched on Nico. So he plays 11 minutes last night. Um, down from – he played around 15 in game one. And, uh, you know, Mike Budenholzer said before the game that he was asked about Nico's minutes. He, he did admit that he probably played a few more than he wanted to in, the, in game one. And – the interesting thing was how he explained Nico's spot in the rotation. So I did tweet this out at one point when, as you know, is often the case, there was a lot of people tweeting, asking about DJ Wilson. Why isn't DJ Wilson on the floor? And again, this is going to be a numbers game for the Bucs. There's only 48 minutes in each game. There's a lot of guys that deserve to be in the rotation. And don't forget, this is without Malcolm Brogdon and Tony Snell still, still out. So, um, I mean, there's going to be some real... Uh, I mean, tough decisions for Bud. I don't know how else to say it. But when asked about Nico before the game, Bud said, well, we really want to get him going and we want him to be playing. But you have to remember that Giannis and Lopez, uh, who play at his position, are just huge parts of what we want to do and they are going to be playing major minutes. Now, they haven't to this point, uh, but that that was the first point he made. And then after that, he said, and also, Ursan is someone who is extremely important to what we do. So... And that was the end of the the end of the quote. No mention of DJ, and and this mm. is this is something that we've spoken about for the last couple of podcasts, or that I've hinted that I believe that this is the case, and I believe this is what Bucks fans should prepare for. DJ Wilson is the guy on the outer when you look at who is in the playoff rotation right now. Now that could change, and if the Bucks really do get into a into a a tough contest. And I, again, I don't think it's going to be this this series, but potentially in round two, uh, if it is Boston and it is Al Horford, who maybe is getting off the chain, then don't be surprised to see DJ get, uh, get thrown into the mix. But as it stands right now, if things keep ticking along and going the way the Bucks want to play, every indication we have and every indication we are getting from, uh, from Bud is that DJ Wilson is on the outer and he's going to lean on Giannis Lopez, Ilyasova, and then Miritich for the playoff rotation. So, again, Miritich 0 for 1 from 3. Uh, he didn't hit a 3 in his first game back. So he's definitely, you know, someone who's, who's got to work through some stuff. I, I didn't think the Bucks were great in his minutes last night by any stretch. So uh, this is something that shouldn't surprise people, and I think that, that people have to have patience with this. He, he Not only was he just working his way into the system when he first got here, uh, when he before he got injured, He's now has to work his way back into that uh, rotation. He has to get himself feeling comfortable. He has to do that in a playoff environment, which while the Bucks are winning easily, it's still a high-pressure situation. So it's a really, really difficult thing. And this is something that people should keep in mind when they when they project forward to Malcolm Brogdon coming back. This isn't just a regular season where you can sneak someone in. It's going to be difficult. So I think there needs to be some patience uh, with, with Miritich. Yeah, I agree. I just I wonder where the point comes when you can't afford to be patient with a guy anymore. Uh, I do think, I don't know, it felt to me even in the regular season, there was a couple good games with him. I just don't know if he's, I don't know, do you think he's been fully comfortable, you know, playing in the in the Bucks system, playing with this team so far? Like, it seems to me like he's had some moments where he's hit some threes. I just don't know that he's 
100% sort of melded into what Milwaukee does yet. No, I think that's right. And I think it comes down to the Bucks' offense, and it's a different role for him. Uh, When I go back to the game when he got injured and he hurt the thumb against the Lakers, he had 23 points. And the big thing about that was he was getting some post touches. He was putting the ball on the floor. He was getting to the rack. He was doing all these different things inside the perimeter, and you really got a, a, a really good feel for the way or for his offensive game and how many things he can do with the ball outside of shooting the threes. The problem is he's not going to get those opportunities a lot in this offense because that's not really what it's about. That's not really going to be his role. His role is going to be to to shoot those spot-up threes, and that's a little bit of an adjustment. And I know he's a shooter, and it should be simple just to shoot threes, but I think that's certainly something that he's had to take on, the fact that he's not in New Orleans anymore. It's not Anthony Davis and Miritich, and, and those are the, the two guys. There's so many guys to score. And he's not going to get, uh, you know, those easy buckets or, or those different looks that can sometimes get someone going and get them confidence. So maybe in game three, this is something that they look to do. Maybe they try and get him a few different touches in the in the post and, and try and get him some good looks. I'm not sure. It's Again, it's difficult to do this in the playoffs and really mess uh, with what you're trying to do for the sake of getting someone going. But with a 2-0 two, uh, two lead, maybe that's something they do. I'm not sure. It's going to be interesting to watch. It is. It's tough. You know, you, uh, you you don't pass up on getting a guy like Nico Miritich for a playoff run when you give up a couple second-round picks and a guy in Thon who, who just wasn't playing. But uh, it's just tricky, you know, how to pick who you're going to trade for. You know, you, you can't just trade for anyone. Just like here at Blue Wire, we don't just partner with any advertiser. We want to make sure we're giving our listeners a good deal on a product. Just like getting Nico Miritich for a couple second-round picks in Thon. So that's why... We love doing business with Harry's. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shaving kit for just $3. It's in all caps, $3. I'm not going to yell, but it's $3. <laughs> Go to harry.com, harrys.com slash bluewire, and you'll save $10 on a trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You're going to need this cane for when you go on the road to Detroit five blades that's more than there will be games in the series too which is interesting if you're not familiar with harry's it's time you should be harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price the founders were sick and tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. harry's bought a world-class blade factory in germany that's been making quality blades for over six, 95 years Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of their blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and you'll get a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. It's not a bad deal. Three bucks. It's very cheap. You're right. I am going to be in Detroit. for. Uh, we're heading off tomorrow. It's going to be a big road trip. Uh, it's going to be uh, myself, Eric Name, Matt Velasquez, Laurie Nickel. We're going to, there's, there's two journals. Oh, wow. Two journal Sentinels. Uh, they're, rolling, they're rolling strong in the playoffs of the Journal Sentinels. So we're going to need the Harrys. I'm going to need the Harrys. They got a beard. They roll with a beard. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to look after that when I'm on the road. So uh, I will have to make sure I do not forget to pack that uh the appropriate gear but yeah the bucks 
keep the Pistons under 100 points for the second time this series. They're 22 and one when they do that on the season now. So as we know, uh, the Bucks, the, when the Bucks defense locks down, they get a hold of a team. They really, really uh, are tough to beat. So uh, 22 and one when they keep the opposition under 100 points. And last night. They were able to block a few shots. The one guy in particular was able to block a few shots. In fact, a career high four times, Pat Connaughton. Uh, just a just a, a monster game off the bench, really, for Pat. He plays 30 minutes on the back of uh, 28 in game one. You spoke that he's leading the Bucks in minutes for, uh, for the playoffs. And again, no disrespect to Pat, but I think if uh, you said after two games that Pat Connaughton was going to be leading the minutes for the Bucks, you'd probably be feeling pretty good about the the series and, and the way the series is placed. So uh, Connaughton has 18 points on 8 for 10 shooting. He's 2 for 3 uh, from beyond the arc. He has 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 blocks, as I mentioned. He's a plus 16 on the box score. Uh, he did a little bit of everything. Yeah, I think I'm looking at Pat Connaughton's series numbers right now, and they're absolutely bonkers. He's averaging 14 points, 8.5 rebounds, 2 assists, uh, half a steal, and 2.5 blocks on a 75-60-100 shooting line, which is uh, pretty decent. Putting Malcolm Brogdon to shame right now. The 50-40-90, Pat says, how about 75-60-100? Yeah, i got to check that. i got to check the, the history of players that have shot those the splits in the playoffs. Funnily enough, it might mean Chris Milton might be the closest to doing that. Whatever, whatever he shot last year, the, I think he was he was fifty, sixty, ninety, or something ridiculous like that last year. But uh, it's interesting, man. He was uh, he was fifty nine, sixty one, seventy three. So Pat's coming for the crown right now. Seventy three from the free throw line. What was like, what was Chris doing last year? That's that's not that's pathetic. But. Uh, <laughs> Pat, uh, this is, it's interesting because we, we speak a lot about Pat. I, I don't I don't want to say we're being critical, but we've certainly pointed out that sometimes he's aggressive in us defensively. He's want to try and block every single shot, leaves him in bad positions, and he, he does leave his feet a little too often, uh, or he has through the season. But again, we also have said the whole time that if he can get those blocks and if he can have one of those nights where his timing is right and everything pans out, He's the ultimate energy energy guy, and he does play, he makes plays that that result uh, or lead to winning basketball. And last night, I think it was the perfect storm for him. The four blocks, we saw that he was able to block a couple of jump shots. Uh, his rebounding is incredible for a guy his size. We know the hops that he has. So really, uh, what we've seen, and maybe this is maybe he's he's a playoff. And I know you talk a lot about playoff guys. Uh, I I don't. I mean, I don't want to talk about him the way you have Chris Milton and Eric Bledsoe, but. Maybe these plays that he does and the way that he plays and the energy he brings is exactly what this Bucks team needs in the playoffs. I'm not sure, but uh, when before the, the playoffs started, we were talking about the rotation, and I, I was very strong in my belief that Tony Snell was obviously going to be in the rotation. I still think he will when he plays. Uh, he's been a real staple all season and a guy that's played major minutes. That seemed like maybe Pat Connaughton was going to be the guy that ended up on the on the outer, but... I'm not sure how you do that right now. It's tough. I mean, the thing is, like, he just brings something different than, I think, what both Tony Snell and Sterling Brown bring. I mean, those guys are your 3 and D wings who you know are going to be real good defensively. They're going to hit the threes. Sterling especially will drive. I mean, 
we all know Tony loves to dunk if he gets a chance. I think Sterling is a little more credible of a threat to drive. Pat C just brings something different in my opinion. I mean, he can do that stuff too. I think those two guys are just more solid defenders. I think a lot. I think it's kind of feast or famine with him and and being in the air and blocking. But regardless of that, just his energy. I mean, Sterling's a guy we talk about. He brings an edge and energy all the time too. But I think I don't know if anyone outside of like Giannis and maybe Bledsoe brings more like both end energy plays than Pat C. I mean, he's always always doing something. I mean, he blocked a shot so hard. He like tumbled out of bounds and like slid like three feet. He's ridiculous. I was like, I've, I've never seen someone do that on a shot. Like they, they're the ones who did the blocking. Usually you get blocked and then you like fall on the ground. This guy just it looked like he got fired out of a slingshot or something. I, I just don't know how you can take away his role entirely. I think it just feels to me that Bud's always going to find us at least a couple minutes. If, if it's a close game, even. For this guy to come in and, and do something like that and get this team going. It's it's really interesting because, again, I'm looking at the box tour right now. And, uh, I mean, Pat plays 30 minutes. So, that's the first thing. I, I guess that's certainly on the, on the extreme end uh, of what he's going to play. And when you look at the guys that do play, he was he's really the, the primary or the only backup wing that's playing. Obviously, Ersan and Miritich split roughly 30 together. George Hill's obviously the, the, the backup point guard. And then there's Connaughton. So maybe maybe I'm, I'm being a little over the top when I say that there's no minutes for him because 30 minutes is a lot to go around. And you can share that with the starters. I, I guess what I just look at this team right now and I see that the starters have really not had to play over 30 minutes. So... You think when the Bucks really get in a series, those guys are probably going to play closer to, uh, you know, high thirties? Then that's a lot of minutes you take away. So I, I don't know. I'm just really intrigued to see where this plays out. As as has been the case all season, whoever misses out on getting minutes, and right now it is DJ Wilson. Maybe it will be Tony Snell. Maybe it will be Pat Connaughton. They're going to be really, really. They they would have a case to be feeling really uh, unlucky that they should be playing because, again, this team has just had contributors right through uh, the roster, and uh, it's it's. I mean, it's Bud's job. Good luck to him. Yeah, honestly, I will say I think it's interesting that Pat plays five more minutes than Sterling in this game because Sterling is a starter, but. I think we all know he's kind of a starter in, in name alone. I mean, with Brogdon there, he wouldn't be. And he feels like, to me, a guy where he's so young, he's got so little miles on him at the NBA level that I don't see why there would be a real conscious effort to limit Sterling's minutes in, in a big way. I mean, he played the least among the starters, and I don't think it was to rest him. I think it was just Pat was playing so well, he got more minutes. Chris played a lot. Etc. I mean, George Hill is always going to get a lot of minutes. I don't know. I think I don't know if it definitively says anything. It's one game against the Pistons. It was a weird game against the Pistons, but I do think it's it's notable at least something to file away that that Pat got five more minutes than Sterling in this game. Yeah, and Sterling finishes the night uh, a minus one on the box score. Uh, Pat Connaughton, as we already mentioned, was it was a plus sixteen. So I do think that was more what we were seeing on the night. I don't necessarily think that the fact that Sterling was a minus one was anything he was doing outrageously wrong. Uh, I think it was more about what Pat was doing well. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah, again, it's it's interesting. I I, I did the uh, the Bucks courtside live pregame with. Uh, you're with, a, you're you're the Bucks courtside live guy. I think at this point, it's fun, man. It's uh, it fills in a bit of time before the game. I can yeah. I can talk, you know. Yeah, I can talk. I like talking to people. So we oh, yeah. yeah, we just we just watch the guys warm up and and talk, but Justin does a great job hosting uh and and he asked me the question before the game and it's interesting. I I gave my answer, but I wouldn't mind asking you your thoughts on this because we were talking about Sterling Brown and everything he's been able to do and the way that he's been able to score at an efficient rate. And again last night as you sort of mentioned, uh his minutes were down a little bit. Um the li- the lineups perhaps weren't as dominant when he was on the floor. Uh, again, you can read into that whatever you will, but he was three for five from the field, hits his one attempt from three. So he gets eight, an efficient eight points. Uh, and and the way that he's emerged in the starting lineup and, and how well he's played over the last sort of uh, month or so since Brockton's been out, uh, Justin asked me whether that what that does when Brockton comes back because we know how important Brockton is to this Bucks team. But he's had a pretty serious injury. It's been a foot injury. He's obviously, uh, you know, been off his feet for a little while there. So, do you believe that it eases the pressure in terms of bringing Brogdon back? Would you be fine with bringing easing Brogdon in off the bench? Which I think is going to happen anyway. But what just what do yeah. you what Sterling Brown's been able to do? How do you think that affects uh, the pressure of uh, rushing Brogdon back? I think it absolutely eases the pressure. I think. We've seen that this Bucks coaching staff, you know, Bud, Bud at the head of it, has been very long-term health conscious all season long, and virtually, if not literally, every decision they've made in terms of bringing guys back and, and holding guys out and playing guys less minutes. So I think, I think their inclination either way would be to take it slow with Brogdon and, and make sure he's good before, you know, playing him a, a lot of minutes or, or really throwing him back in there, but. You know, it's that's easier said than done in the playoffs when, you know, forget every game. I mean, in, in, in most series, every couple minutes stretch matters and you, you want your best guys out there. I think it, it does a lot to ease your mind that you go, listen, okay, fine. He's not Malcolm Brogdon. We know this. We've we've talked about this. But with how good everyone else on this team is, at Sterling Brown's Malcolm Brogdon impression has, has been good enough. He's been good in that role since assuming it, I would say, since Brogdon went down. And I think that does a lot to sort of calm your your fears about, oh, we need to get Brogdon back right now. Well, they do need Brogdon back. I, I think it is very important to get him back. But, you know, we don't need him back this absolute second, and we don't need him back playing 30 minutes a game right away. We have the luxury of having all these guys. So we've talked about, you know, where are the minutes for these guys coming from? It's tough, you know, it's... It might mean Pat C plays less later or Sterling or whoever. But in the meantime, it, the, the plus side of it is, well, we have all these guys who can soak up these minutes and, and we're not going to tank while we bring back Brogdon. So I, I think it helps. And I, I don't think either way that we would see Malcolm Brogdon rush back. It's not this team's MO. No, no, that's right. But yeah, again, I, I just think it's so big for this team that they do not feel that sense of urgency to get him back. Because we are in the playoffs right now, and again, I know we spoke about it. It's at times it hasn't felt like the playoffs, just because uh, the Bucks are, are blowing the doors off the Pistons. But uh, you know, we are in the playoffs, and the Bucks are missing a really vital 
uh, part of their rotation, a vital part of their starting lineup, a guy that's been key in big situations, hit big shots for his whole career. Uh, yeah, a big part uh, of the ball handling, the ball movement, the penetration into the paint. Just does so many things well. One of the, you know, obviously a historic season shoot uh, efficiency wise. So this is a guy that a really, really, really good player that they're missing. Fifteen points a night for Brogdon, uh, and it hasn't mattered. And I, I just think that's big for this team to not have that stress. Um, one other thing I just quickly wanted to touch on was there was a couple of times last night where Giannis looked like he was a little slow getting back up the floor. He was a little slow getting up off the floor. And I'm not sure there was a few Bucks fans that sort of wondered or were asking whether he was okay. Um, I know Matt Velasquez certainly asked Giannis about this after the game. And Giannis, it was kind of curious. He, he said that he was just tired. He said, I was just really tired. He's like, I was put playing longer stretches uh, as a part of the rotation. Was, I was just playing longer stretches. And I was just feeling really tired. And I just think it's noteworthy and certainly to watch it. I don't think there's too much to, to really go into it. But it's just something to keep an eye on. Because to any place, 23 minutes in game one, uh, 28 minutes last night. And we know that. 28 minutes for Giannis and the energy he plays with and how hard he goes, it's sort of, it, it would, it takes more of a toll than 28 minutes should. But you probably don't want to hear him talk about how tired he is uh, after two games in the playoffs. So uh, something to watch. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, he, he certainly didn't look bad and he didn't look uh, like it was affecting his game too much. But you probably don't want to hear him say how tired he is after after two games where the Bucks have blown the Pistons out. No, you don't. And part of me wonders if you know he wasn't if he tweaked something and he just didn't want to say that, so he goes with "I'm tired" instead. Because I mean, this guy used to you know be outraged at Bud for ever taking him out of games. I don't think there's ever a point in the playoffs or in the regular season or in the preseason or like you know playing with the the short guy in those commercials for the bank that I don't think there's ever a point where Giannis would be like, I'm tired. Take me out of this game. I think he'll play no matter what. And I don't know, just, it, he always seems like he tries to quiet any sort of concerns about his ankle or whatever's going on with him. I don't know if his ending with his ankle is up, but I would, I would just wonder if there's a little more to that than I'm tired. Yeah, certainly it didn't appear that there was any sort of issue with his ankle. Um, I, I mean, we all keep a pretty close eye on it, but it's certainly in the past, you've, it's been very noticeable when it's looked like there was something wrong uh, with his ankle or it was bothering him. Certainly not the case last night. I, I didn't see anything that indicated that. He did just seem just a little bit slow getting back up the floor. So, uh, And you pointed to it. I still don't think he was happy when he came out of the game at the end. Yeah, he wants to play all the time. It, it certainly didn't seem, even with his response, like it was an issue how tired he was. I think he just, you know, I guess was working pretty hard. And in the third quarter when he was a little slow getting up the floor, maybe it had to do with the fact that he just went absolutely crazy in the first two minutes and and needed to get his breath back a little bit. I'm not too sure. But uh, Giannis, again, another big night for him. He uh, finishes with, what do you have, 26 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, a couple of blocks, a couple of big blocks on Thon. Uh, and he is just doing MVP stuff out there. Huge sure numbers, is. huge numbers in in sort of limited minutes, and and the Bucks uh, take a two zero lead. The first time the Bucks have had a two zero lead 
uh, in a playoff series since the second round in 2001. So they they have not been in this position for a long, long time. They will be back on Saturday night. So they get another two days off. So the Bucks are uh, having a day to themselves today. They'll do some individual stuff at the practice facility. And then they have, will have a practice tomorrow on Friday before getting on the plane uh, to head to Detroit in the afternoon. So any thoughts ahead of game three? We didn't even touch on Blake Griffin. Uh, it's going to be up in the air. He did practice before uh, yesterday or he was at shoot around. He was getting shots up at the game. He's clearly not right. Uh, I do have a feeling that they may bring him back for this game in Detroit. It's the first ever playoff game at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. Uh, I think they would love to have him back. I, you know, I mean, he's not okay, but at this point for the Pistons, uh, I think that it doesn't seem like it's an injury where things can get worse. It's more just a, a soreness issue with Griffin. So my feeling is that he's going to play, but that is Saturday night, 7 p.m. Central in Detroit. Uh, any any early thoughts on this one? Uh, I don't think he should play, uh, Blake. I just think... You can say nothing can get worse, and that's fine. But I mean, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. I mean, if you end up favoring a different, like a different way of walking, running, jumping, whatever, I mean, that can be really bad for for your your health and other parts. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I part of me wonders if this is a a smokescreen. Part of me wonders if they're really trying to rush him back. I know Blake really wants to play, and there's certainly some merit to not wanting to piss him off and hold him out of the playoffs if he thinks he can play and, and do something for this team. But uh, my thought is I felt like the Pistons had a lot of momentum in that second quarter, and then the Bucks came and squashed it. And I uh, I think if, if they do have another run in, in this series, I, this, I think we've just seen now that Milwaukee knows how to handle those. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was quite a few Bucks fans in uh, Little Caesars Arena for these games. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's uh, – not a long drive, listeners, and I would bet my bottom dollar that tickets are not that expensive for a, a fan base that doesn't always uh, fill the seats. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the case. If you if you can't get down there, uh, there should be plenty of tickets left. Uh, I, I'm not sure where Pistons fans are at right now in terms of uh, their team, uh, but. There's tickets here for $70. I'm looking right now. So that's certainly uh, cheaper than 5 cent forum. But Saturday night, the Bucks have a 2-0 lead. They're going to look to take a 3-0 lead, uh, steal one on the road and get one step closer to a sweep and a potential matchup with the Boston Celtics who also have a 2-0 lead over the Indiana Pacers. So we will be back with a podcast after Game 3. Ty, thank you as always for... Getting up very, very early at uh, 7 o'clock and we have finished a near-on-hour podcast. So an early start for us and you have to work. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my day, but thank you for getting up so early. Thank you. Uh, get some sleep. I mean, you're the one who had to stay up late last night. And uh, I'm going to hop on BJ and the Bear here in about 15 minutes, so that'll be fun. Uh, everyone who's listening, thank you as well. Uh, we, of course, pre- appreciate the ears and the support. Uh, if you want to keep supporting us, you know, share the podcast with your friends, post it online, uh, subscribe, give us a good rating and review. That stuff helps. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and thank you, Kane. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. 
My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.